I think most of you know yesterday was the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. And the Assisi Institute is named after Francis of Assisi for a number of reasons. First of all, Yogananda considered him to be one of the unofficial gurus in the lineage. At another point, Yogananda referred to him as his patron saint. And Yogananda had a number of visitations from St. Francis of Assisi. Secondly, Francis is in some ways a universal saint. He doesn't just belong to the Catholic Church. All great saints belong to the whole world, to all of creation. And tonight, in a few minutes, I will disappear. And Brother Bernardo, uh, the first follower of Francis, is going to take over. So I have no idea what he's going to talk about. I hope it's good. I hope it both entertains you and inspires you. Salve. Greetings. Sono fratello Bernardo. I am Brother Bernard. It's been a while since I have been with you here. Let me just talk a little bit about myself and my relationship with Francis. And I'm not going to share some of the same stories I've shared in the past. I'm going to share some other stories with a specific purpose in mind. I was a boyhood friend of Francis. Francis was always the leader of our group. He went to one war, and I went to another. He was born of a wealthy merchant family, and I was born of a noble family, wealthy. When I came back from the Crusades, I had heard that something had happened to Francis. All of our friends said he, he wasn't the same Francis I knew before I went away. So I went to where he was living, outside of Assisi. And he was rebuilding this broken down chapel of San Damiano. His habit was not like this, it was more like rags. But he was happy. He was joyful. I'd never seen that radiance flowing out from him, that life. And I asked him, how? And he told me after he came back from his war, he was broken. And he was praying in front of the crucifix in this broken down chapel of San Damiano. And day after day he would go and he would feel a bit of peace, but it wouldn't last. And then he heard Jesus say to him, Francesco, Francesco. And he said it was a loving and tender voice. That was for Francis a moment of initiation into the divine life, into the Christ consciousness, into divine love. But that wasn't just it. Francis said that the voice from the cross gave him a commission. 
He said, Francis, can't you see my church is crumbling? Go and rebuild it. And Francis said, from that moment on, the depression washed away. And he had his mission and he had his purpose. I wanted to start there because if we're going to understand Francis and the message I've been given to give to you tonight, we have to understand it begins with this experience of unfathomable love, the divine love. Francis knew that love. It filled his being. And he made it his life's purpose to orient everything he did, his thoughts, his words, his actions, his affections, his lifestyle, around that loving voice that spoke to him from the cross. So, I became his first follower. I'd like to say I was his favorite, but he didn't have favorites. He would remind me of that periodically. And I watched everything he did because I knew he knew something that I didn't know and he had something that I didn't have. And I wanted what he had. So his life for me was a living scripture. It was a living embodiment of God's presence. But this is what I want to tell you tonight. Never did Francis's life speak to me more clearly than when he was approaching his death. You don't need me to tell you we are living in complicated, troubled times. Part of the message I've been given to share with you tonight is God needs more and more of us to embrace the hero's journey, the heroic spiritual life, the adventure of truth, beauty, and goodness, the adventure of embodying God's love and grace in every aspect of our lives. We won't get there right away, but we can get there. I watched how Francis got there. And sometimes, you know, I would say, Francis, you're so wonderful, you're so great, and he would chide me. He would say, I'm nothing. He said, if God can work through me, he can work through anyone. Anyone. And so part of my charge tonight is to say, the world needs your heroism. It needs your faith, it needs your passion, it needs your love, it needs your light. Don't love feebly, love fiercely. I'm not saying that you have to do special things or that you have to occupy some great stage in life. Francis didn't always occupy the great stage of life. In fact, most of the time, he didn't. Do you think it was glorious when he was taking care of lepers and cleaning their open sores and head bugs would jump from their head to his head. But he did it with love. He did it with devotion. Because for him, the lepers were Christ. Everything was permeated with the presence of God. So we don't have to do great things on some great stage. 
We just have to do everything with great love and great attention wherever we are in every moment. Is there ever a reason to not love? Is there ever a reason to not serve? Is there ever a reason to not do good? No. That's the message tonight. And the lens through which I'm breaking it open, again, is his process of dying. Because that's when I really saw how great he was. Two years before he died, in 1224, some of us were around him. And he said, I have two more years to live. And we said, no, 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 many more. He said, no, the Lord has told me two more years, two more years. Listen closely, he said. Follow me, pay attention. So I want to talk to you about what I saw during that time. What we don't realize, and what I learned from Francis, is everything we do makes a difference. Everything. Good and bad. Every prayer, every meditation, every act of loving service, every time we have to courageously and lovingly tell the truth, every time we perform those kinds of acts from a pure heart, what happens is slowly but surely our very essence is transformed. It's like the grace and the love of God penetrates into the cells of our body, into our character, and it refashions us. And all the time I knew Francis after his conversion, his whole life was organized around prayer and meditation and service, prayer and meditation and service, and also seeing the goodness and the beauty of God in everything and everyone. It shaped him, it transformed him, it made him into a different person. So that when he faced his death, he had that to draw on. Everything we do today is an investment in tomorrow. Everything we do tomorrow is an investment in the next day. So, one of the most remarkable things Francis would say during this time, these two years, and I want you to know he was ill the whole time. He was going blind, he had malaria, he had a liver disease, a spleen disease, and tuberculosis. It wasn't a smooth transition on the physical level. But often he would say, up to now I have done nothing. We must start again. And every day he brought that freshness to everything that he did. And even though his 
body was failing him and he could do, not do the things he used to do, he said, oh, I want to go back and work with the lepers again. I want to love them. I want to see Christ in them. And he meant it. Now, paradoxically, during this whole process, he was incredibly joyful. And one of the brothers, Elias, who ended up not being such a great character at the end, we kicked him out of the order a few years after Francis died. He actually complained and said, Francis, you're dying. What's all this joy about? You shouldn't be so joyful facing your death. And he said, God is joy. God is bliss. God is loving bliss. I am closer to God now than I have ever been. How can I not have joy? And it was at that moment he wrote, now you have to remember he was blind, virtually blind. And it was at that moment he wrote the Cantico, Brother, Son, Sister Moon. Through his mostly blind eyes he was still able with his intuition leading the way, he was able to see the presence of the divine in everything in creation. I know you yogis are fond of saying namaste, the the divine in me bows before the divine in you. Do you know that that for Francis that was literally true? May it become true for all of us. So in that state, he wrote this beautiful cantico. And one of the most beautiful gifts we were able to give him when he was no longer strong enough to sing it because he liked to sing it, we would sing it to him. And he would say, again, one more time, sing it to me. Sometimes we would sing it to him for hours on end and we watched it fill him with joy. Now, I don't want you to think that Francis was somehow oblivious to the problems and to the challenges that were facing his order, our band of merry little men. He wasn't. He was concerned. There's a tendency when we're up in the heavens, we we chuckle at what you do with some of the saints. For example, you make Francis into this birdbath simpleton, a medieval hippie. And yes, Francis was happy. And yes, he talked to the birds. But there was also a fire in him and a fierceness. I would say it this way. Whenever he was dealing with somebody's, one of the friars, one of the brothers' faults, failings, he was as gentle as a flower. 
But when it came to principle, he was as strong as thunder. And he saw what was happening as he was dying. First of all, some of the younger friars were treating him like an oddity. Yes, he was the founder, but he was a too extreme, too idiosyncratic. And that didn't really bother Francis. But what bothered him was they were modifying the rule that he wrote. They were watering things down. They weren't living the law of poverty that he taught. And it wasn't that Francis was a miserable person. Obviously, he was very joyous, but he knew the secret. The only way that we get filled is by being empty. That's what poverty meant to him. Emptying of any attachments so that he could be filled with heavenly treasure. Not just in the future, but here and now. And so he was greatly troubled because the friars, that's what we, we weren't monks, by the way, we're friars, brothers. And the order was growing in esteem, and that bothered Francis. And some of the brothers in different places were given very ornate churches and homes to live in. And you could see the vow of poverty, radical simplicity, eking away. And so Francis wrote his final testament on his deathbed. And I'll just paraphrase it for you. The first thing he said was, the, vow that I, the vows that I wrote for our order, the rule, was given to me by God. Don't interpret it. Don't say I meant this. It meant exactly what I wrote. Again, when it came to principle, he was as strong as thunder. Because everybody was going around and, well, maybe he meant this, maybe he meant that. Did he really mean this? He said, I meant what I said. Follow it. The second thing, most people don't realize this. The friars, again, were not monks. Most of us did not hide in a monastery. We prayed and meditated and then we worked and we served in the world. And some of the young friars, some of the young brothers were being given permission, positions of honor. They were being given gifts. And he said, no, no, no. You are to work for your keep. Now, he said, you can't take money because we've taken a vow of poverty, but people can pay you for your food. You're not to live as a prince in the world. You're to live as servants in the world. You're to be humble. You're to work for your bread. In fact, we're called friars minor, and that's an English interpretation of an Italian phrase. Siamo il fratellini. We are little brothers. That's all that we are. Now, again, what was happening 
is the friars were being ordained priests. In the beginning, we were not priests. There was only one among us who was a priest, Brother Leo. And he was very humble. We were just friars. We were little brothers serving God and serving creation. And they started to be ordained and given positions of privilege. And he saw that some would someday become bishops. And so in his testament, he said, be little, be simple, be subject to all and to everyone. You cannot lord it over anyone. When you go to a house, you just eat what they give you. And if you're criticized, accept it with humility. We're called to be the servants of all, not to be served. See, when we live like that, we become godlike. Why? Because God serves everyone and everything. God serves the birds, the bees. God feeds them, God feeds us. So the more we serve, the more we become godlike. Francis knew that. That's why he wanted us to serve. And I'll tell you a little funny story about St. Bonaventure. He took over maybe 15 years after Francis died. And he was a great scholar, but he was also a humble friar. And they wanted to make him a cardinal. And if you see the cardinals wear the red hats, so a dignitary from the Vatican came and gave Bonaventure the red hat. He threw it in the woods. I'm a simple friar. I'm a little brother. Nothing more, nothing less. That's the Franciscan spirit. And I have a specific message for all of you here. Your spiritual father of the Assisi Institute is Paramahansa Yogananda. Do you know that he and Francis are dear friends? They are brothers to each other and brothers to Christ. They are pleased with what you are doing and they bless it. But there's also a caution. Don't lose your first love. Never become satisfied. Keep that first love alive that you had for this path. And don't say about Yogananda, well, did he mean this or did he mean that? He said what he meant and meant what he said. Don't water it down. Yes, you can translate it for different times. But the life that Yogananda taught is how Francis wanted all the non-friars, all the lay people in the world to live. So part of my charge to you today is, again, keep that love alive.
your first love. Never lose it. Stay faithful to what you have been taught, and it will take care of you. Your mission has just begun. So after sending out and writing this testament, Francis was concerned. He wasn't above being concerned. He wasn't above having anxieties. But what differentiated Francis from many of us is when he had those anxieties, he took them to God. He took them to Christ. He prayed. He prayed through them. So he took his concerns to Christ. And I'm going to read you part of Christ's response to Francis. Now, Francis, one of the close brothers, was Thomas of Shalano. He was on the spectrum. Okay. So he took copious notes of whatever Francis said. So this is Thomas of Shalano quoting what Jesus said to Francis. Francesco, why are you disturbed, little man? Did I not place you over my order as its shepherd? And now do you not know that I am its chief protector? I chose you, simple man, for this task, that what I would do in you to be imitated by the rest, that they might follow your wishes. I have called this order. I will persevere and feed, and I will choose others to repair the falling away of others, so that if a substitute is not born, I will make him to be born to carry on. Do not be disturbed, therefore, but work out your salvation. And if the order were to be reduced to three, it will be by my grace unshaken. And so Francis was able to let go. It wasn't his order, he told us. The order belonged to Jesus. The Assisi Institute doesn't belong to Isha Das. It belongs to all of us and to Yogananda and the gurus. And if we stay faithful, God and the gurus will bring the right people to help us to carry on. Now I want to share one, maybe one of the most touching moments it was literally a few days before Francis died. And it was very sweet. Francis always had a priest by his side. And a number of times he would go to confession. And I would say, Francis, what are you confessing again and again? And he said, never mind. My sins are between me and God. Again, his whole life was about being in alignment with Jesus, with that voice that spoke to him from the cross. And so 
like Jesus did with his disciples. He asked us to get bread and to break it. Now what was sad was he was so weak at this point he couldn't even lift the bread. So he asked me to hold it and to lift it for him. As he prayed the prayer of blessing and then we broke it and we ate and we were all crying and he said don't cry for me. I'm going home. We're just visiting here. This is not our permanent home. I'm going home. And the joy I've experienced here will be multiplied by infinity. I'm going home. Now, what I did is I snuck a piece of bread and put it in my habit. And a few days after Francis died, I gave it to some ill people. And they were healed. I saw it with my own eyes. We have the power to bless everything in our lives. We all have the power to be an instrument of healing in the world, not just Francis, all of us. So the final day came on October 3rd, 1226. And barely with any voice to speak, Francis said, when I have left my body, no, even before, he said, please take me and place me on the ground, naked. That's how I want to go home to my Lord. Naked, being held by Mother Earth. And so we placed him on the ground. We were all weeping. And then he breathed his last breath. And a number of us saw his soul rising into heaven, surrounded by angels and saints, his body, spirit body, luminous with light, as he blessed us from above. So even in our tears, he consoled us, he served us. In the context of our own lives, our own humble situations, we're not called to literally imitate Francis. He once said to me, Bernardo, I have done what was mine to do. You must do what is yours to do. So the goal is not to imitate Francis literally, but it is to imitate his spirit, to organize our lives around truth beauty and goodness. To surrender everything we have to the divine, 
our bodies, our minds, our affections, our actions, our thoughts, and our words to be his instrument in the world. I'll close with this. Vladimir Lenin, the founder of Communist Soviet Union, on his deathbed, he had some regrets about what he did. And there was a boyhood friend who was also a priest who was beside him. And he said, I tried to do good, but I'm not sure I did. And then he said, we didn't need a revolution. What we needed was 10 Francis's of Assisi. Again, may all of us in the humble circumstances of our life seek to be a Francis of Assisi in all that we do. The world needs, again, your light, our light. The world needs the collective light that you have to give. And the more we give, the more it comes back. So I'll close with Francis's blessing. May the Lord bless you. May he turn his face toward you. And may his glorious and brilliant light shine upon you now and always. Amen. I'm back. <laughs> Just something that um, Yogananda said about Francis. Somebody asked Yogananda if Francis knew any of the Kriya techniques that we practice, because Yogananda did say that Jesus had a variation of those practices that he taught his close disciples. And Yogananda said no. And they said, well, how did he get to be who he was? And Yogananda said, because his devotion was so great. Never underestimate the power of love and devotion to take you to the highest heights. Now you combine that with the technique and it's truly incredible but never underestimate the power of devotion and love, again, to take you to the highest heights. <laughs>